Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. How are we doing? It's nearly Christmas. We're nearly there, aren't we? Not far off now. Wasn't that great worship tonight? Just be encouraged, guys. That was absolutely fantastic tonight. Really, really, really good. So, it's that time of year. Nearly there. Nearly Christmas. What do you want for Christmas? Have a little chat to the people next to you and see what is on your top of your list for Christmas. Have a little chat. Just, uh, yeah. We'll just have a minute on this. So, very, very quickly, from this table, what, what does somebody want for Christmas? A necklace, amazing. How about a bit further back? A dressing gown. Hey. <laughs> Just shut up, you. That's good, yeah. How about the back? What, what are you having at the back? Sleep. Yeah, I get that one. Absolutely, amen to that. How about over here? What, what do you want? Anyone over there? A present? What is it? Your Christmas present? Anybody? Well, a bit shy. Never mind. Don't worry about it. How about down here, this table? Sleep again. And how about over here, what's your good health? Very good. Peace. A peace. A peace, did you say? I thought it was very virtuous. Peace. Yeah, have some of that. Absolutely. How about over here? An upright piano. As opposed to a recalcitrant piano, I guess. Well done. Brilliant. Well, I, I did a bit of extensive uh, research on the internet this afternoon, and uh, I found the top worst presents, worst presents that anybody ever received, and I thought I'd share a few. One person wrote this, I once received a clock with a gigantic moose on it. Every hour, the moose makes a loud honk groan for 60 seconds, and there's no way to shut it off. So that was that. Another one wrote this, my mum bought me... <laughs> a car crash kit. It had a disposable camera for recording the scene, a tape measure, and some chalk for what I'm assuming was for marking out where the dead bodies lay. <laughs> um, my, uh, my grandma, another one, meant, meant to give me some, some money and as a prank, wrapped in a tissue box. Unfortunately, she wrapped the wrong box and all she, I got was a box of tissues. And somebody else said, my friend bought me a year's subscription to Weight Watchers. Which, anyway, there we are. There's some, hopefully none of you will get any of those. But we are in the season of Advent, which in the church's calendar is that special time of year when we look forward in anticipation. And for some, we know we're looking forward to meeting up again with friends and family. Others, and we've heard it here, looking forward to some sleep and a break from work. Some kids look forward to the coming of the presents, and parents normally look forward to the coming of some peace and quiet. So I suppose the question is, at this time of year, what is it, what are you looking forward to, both at Christmas, but also beyond Christmas as well? Because, you know, if we listen to the media, we look on the television, we read the newspapers, whatever, things don't seem to be that good in the world at the moment, do they? You know, we've got concerns about the climate, about cost of living, wars in Europe and the Middle East. And if we are looking forward and if we are anticipating, then things seem to be a little gloomy. 
Now, those of you who were here last week heard Dan talk about the prophet Isaiah, who also wrote to the people of Israel about a time of darkness. But it was also, it was about a time of darkness, but it was also what God was going to do about it. So I thought actually, when I was just praying a bit about what to talk about tonight, I thought I'd like to revisit the verse we heard last week, because I think there's some other things we can get from it as well. So if you are not feeling particularly optimistic about the future, listen again to these words. And hopefully Jonathan will put them on the screen as well. And it comes from Isaiah chapter 9. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the, in the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles, be way of the sea along the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as men rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle, every garment rolled in blood, will be destined for the burning and fuel for the fire. Now, it's worth actually just understanding, just doing a little bit of unpacking and looking at what was actually going on and what Isaiah was referring to. Now, Naphtali and Zebulun, they were the sons of Jacob. They also founded two of the tribes of Israel. And the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali refer to the area of Israel where they settled. And interestingly, they're in the same geographical location of the Sea of Galilee, which is, of course, around where Jesus started his ministry, around Nazareth. And Isaiah is using an illustration here about a time written where it coming from the time of Judges in chapter 6, when the Syrians and the Assyrians had invaded and oppressed them because Israel had turned away from the Lord. And then the usual nasty stuff had happened. They had been oppressed. They were forced to live in caves and up in mountains. They planted crops, but they were ruined. They were completely impoverished. When Isaiah talks about the yoke, he talks about people being put into forced labor. When the staff, speaks, when the, the staff across the shoulders speaks of the burdens they were forced to carry, and the rod is where they were beaten to make them comply. And things were so bad for them that this recalcitrant, this, um, this wayward um, people of Israel at the time, who had turned away from God, started to call out to the Lord for salvation, for deliverance. And as a result, God had raised up a man called Gideon, who, with 3,000, with 300 men, sorry, kicked the butts of the Midianites and liberated the people of Israel. That was from the new Andy version of the Bible, by the way. So Isaiah was similarly painting a picture of what was happening at the time. People living in gloom, suffering and dying, living in the shadow of death, in exile, away from Jerusalem, away from the temple and the presence of God. A time of darkness. And into this time of darkness, something unexpected happened. Something transformational. Something amazing. This people living in darkness saw a great light, a blinding light, not just like something on your, on your iPhone, but like a nuclear bomb. It was amazing. Have you ever tried to imagine what it would be to live all your life in darkness and then suddenly 
to be able to see, suddenly be able to have light. I once, uh, when I was um, working in, uh, in business, uh, they, somebody sent round one of those fun emails and it said this, it said, due to the current economic circumstances, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off until further notice. But this isn't talking about walking through a tunnel and seeing in the distance some daylight. The only way I'd like us to imagine it, who here likes Lord of the Rings? Stick your hand up if you like Lord of the Rings. Great. Pardon? The books are better, than the, always the books are better. But what I liked on the film, in, in the second version, in the two towers, was you saw this time when all of the people of Edoras were holed up in this place called Helm's Deep, which was their, like their fortress. And all of these bad guys, these orcs, were coming and they'd, they'd blown up the wall and they were invading and everything looked lost. And then suddenly, they were under this darkness, these black clouds. And then suddenly, they looked out to the west and there was the sun and there came Gandalf and all of the sort of the Satan of the, the good guys and they kind of came to the rescue they were blinded by the light and because they were blinded by the light the darkness all went and so in my mind when I think about the people living in darkness have seen a great light I always think about that scene in Lord of the Rings when liberation when the Savior came now, there was a great story that happened about uh, nearly 14 years ago now, 13 years ago, and it happened in Chile in, uh, in South America. And those, some of you might remember it, some of you might, be, you might just all be too young, you're not as old as me. But uh, on the 5th of August 2010, um, 33 Chilean miners were down working their normal shift in this mine in northern Chile, and they were trapped underground. Suddenly there was this big explosion and they were completely trapped by millions and millions of tons of earth. And everybody at first thought they must have died. Nobody could have survived that. But they heard noises and they suddenly, they drilled a little hole down there and they discovered that all of them were still alive, but they were entombed. And they were so entombed, none of them could have got out. And it needed a team of hundreds of engineers and specialists to drill a new tunnel, to design a special capsule that rescued them one by one. But literally seven weeks later, seven weeks of being underground, the final person came out. And an American news channel interviewed one of the miners, a guy called Jose, how do I say it? Jose Enriquez. Jose Enrique, thank you, my consultant over here. And he was nicknamed the pastor because he was a committed Christian. And he said this, the 33 miners needed more than food and physical strength to survive 2,000 feet underground during those two months. I believe the key to all of this was having, having believed in God. That's why I say to the whole world that the Lord wants them to believe in him and believe his word. Enrique's faith in God was key to helping his companions to hold on to hope. The Christian miner led devotions twice a day, crying out to God with the other miners. And thanks to his efforts, about 20 of them, of these miners, trapped underground, turned their lives over to Jesus. After being rescued, Enrique's was the first of 33 men to go back to the mine. He wanted to return to thank God for getting him out of the depths of the earth alive. Everybody welcomed this man as a hero, but Enriquez said, my true hero is Jesus Christ. He is the only hero that should be mentioned.
apart from whatever man might have done, both inside and outside that mine, he is the one who deserves the honor and the glory. Enriquez, a miner all his life, was used by God, both literally and spiritually, to bring his companions out of darkness into the light. Now, we all know that phrase from darkness to light is one of those very familiar Christian expressions. So much so, it can also make it a bit of a cliche. But we need to understand that for many, many people, many people would say that they are living like those miners in that mine, in both their experience and situation, seemingly under this weight of stuff, this weight that means they cannot escape, walking in darkness, unable to get out. And I would say that for many, many, many people around us, that is the state we live in. It is a state of darkness, away from God. I say this, that if God is the source of light and God is the source of life, if you walk away from light, you end up in darkness. If you walk away from life, you end up in death. And friends, there are many, many people around us who are living in a state of darkness and death. And we have been given a job to do something about it. And, you know, what can we do? You know, we can't counsel as well as counselors or speak as well as the professionals or dramatize as well as the theaters or entertain as well as the television. But like the pastor, like Jose Enriquez, we have got the best thing ever. We have got the source of light and life that we have been asked to give away. His name is Jesus. And when the light comes, the darkness disappears. Isaiah then says what this light is like. For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. And the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish it. I think Isaiah was a bit like one of those television previews saying, coming soon at Christmas and giving you all the great films and just giving you a snippet. And that is what Isaiah was doing. Because he wasn't talking about a theory or a philosophy or a way of life. He was talking about a person, a child who would be born on the earth, a Messiah who would come to have all authority to bring light into a dark world. I think I've shared before that before getting ordained, I used to be in business and I used to fly all over the world. And one of those things you find in airports is in the bookshops. They always have loads and loads of self-help books. Everything from stopping smoking to becoming a millionaire by lunchtime. And the, you know, the vast majority of them are a complete load of rubbish and they don't last. And what I would say is this, the good news is that God so loved the world that he didn't send a self-help book. Instead, God so loved the world that he sent his son, Jesus. And Isaiah goes on to talk about the CV, the resume of this Messiah. He's the wonderful counselor intimately acquainted with the wisdom of God, someone who tells us and shows us the way to the Father and a way that we can live our life to fulfillment. He is the mighty God. He has wisdom and so he has strength, the power to change situations, the mediator, 
that can actually bring God's power into this, um, into our hopelessness. He is the everlasting Father, one with God, who is from everlasting to everlasting. Not just a temporary fix, not just a sticking plaster, but he is someone who is able to prevail forever. And he is the Prince of Peace. As a king, not only does he preserve the peace, but he creates peace. He commands peace. He is our peace. And he gives us a peace in our hearts that is something which is quite apart from anything this world can give. And it says the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be the one in charge, the one that we can trust, the one that we can cling to, the one that we can rely on when everything the newspapers and the internet and the television says things are looking very bad. We can rely on Jesus as the one who will keep us safe in a righteous covenant that will be everlasting. And Isaiah says, it is God himself who has undertaken to bring this all about. The Lord of hosts who has all power in his hand, his zeal, his intent, his commitment will make it happen. So what I would say is this, what this means to us is this, is, you know, is, you know, Everything I see and everything I've seen over the last few weeks on the, uh, on the television and on the internet and as I read on the news, it just gives the impression of overall gloom, of hopelessness. It looks like the plane is crashing and it's only a matter of where on the runway it's going to hit the ground. The good news is that Jesus has a different plan. The good news is that for those who are in darkness, he comes as light. For those who are living in the power of death, he comes as the source of light. And as Christians, God has given us the responsibility to share to those in darkness the light that we ourselves have found. One of the reasons why over the last few weeks we've just been really pressing into spending time waiting on God so that we can experience something of the power of the Holy Spirit is to show us that this God is not just someone we meet, well, when we die and, you know, let's see what happens after that, but who is the God with us now, who can be experienced, who can be, you know, who we can have fellowship with, who in worship and in our prayer time we can talk to. That's the God we serve. And this is gold, it's dynamite, it's radical, it's powerful, that the God of the universe is here. He's with us right now. The promise of the Messiah, the promise of, of light for the people walking in darkness that Isaiah talked about thousands of years ago is as relevant today in 2023 as it was then. So as we look forward to Christmas, as we celebrate the birth of Christ, but as we look forward also into 2024, and we think about all of the problems that are going on in the world around us. Let us together be bold at holding out to our community, to our friends, to our course mates, to the people we work with, to the people who we live among, that incredible promise that Jesus is the light of the world who will come into our darkness and turn our darkness to light. That we have the possibility to experience Emmanuel, 
God with us. And what, I'll tell you, of all the Christmas presents that we could get, what can be better than that? Mm-hmm.